Tom, uh, have you ever felt like you're being watched? <laughs> yes. <laughs> now. <laughs> Just starting right now. What a great beginning. This may sound familiar because that one time there actually was something watching you and it was a duck. It was a duck. Yes. But here's the thing. Have you ever felt like what you're doing right now, like sitting in your apartment at your computer on the microphone besides Foster, that someone is right now watching you thinking that what you're doing is the most important thing to them, that you think what you're doing is that important? Do you ever feel that way? Interestingly, I've never in books, they always talk about that a character feels like someone's watching them and Mm -hmm. they get all paranoid. Mm -hmm. I've never felt that feeling. I don't actually even believe that that feeling exists, but I'm constantly thinking that people are looking at me and judging me. So I guess I do (laughs) know what it is. It's just not like in weird parking garages. Well, I was just wondering if maybe you should imagine people are watching you more. (laughs) I do use them good. I, uh, we have a kind of an unprecedented unprecedented uh, cold open this morning. It's a listener submission cold open, Tom. What? Unprecedented. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you about two conditions that tell us a lot about how we relate to the world. And I think once you know about them and, and you have words to define them, you can give yourself a lot of freedom. This comes from our favorite listener, Melissa. Uh, Hi, Melissa. Hello, Melissa. And Melissa sends us actually scanned textbook pages. She's so excited about oh. these <laughs> conditions. Very excited. Uh, and they give us some words to talk about some things uh, that we've talked about, but maybe not with the right words. So here we go. The first one is the spotlight effect. The spotlight oh, effect. Mm. Yep. This that makes this is you, right? This is you. Right. The belief that others are paying more attention to you and your appearance and your behavior than they really are. And it's that last part that surprises people because really the you generally walk around thinking, oh, people are so paying attention to me, right? This is the, uh, uh, you know, the way this textbook But not in a page, good way. Not, not a, a good a, way. Hey, well, maybe not a good way. Get a load of this. Yeah, right. <laughs> They get a load of me. You're welcome. It's the college kid drop off, like freshman year drop off thing, right? It where, uh, it, you know, the the kid is thinking, oh, don't stop kissing me, stop kissing me, oh, right? Sure. Parents, would you just leave me alone? Right? Nobody cares. That's what it turns out. Nobody is paying any attention to you at all. Uh, Timothy Lawson did a study in 2010 testing that theory by having college kids wear crazy clothes that they never would otherwise wear, <laughs> and then ask the people that they were with do you remember what you know joe Susie, bobby was wearing yeah. nobody noticed right nobody oh, cared interesting. Yeah. statistically relevant that nobody cared the other yeah. side of this is the illusion of transparency this one i think the is illusion. even is even okay. crazier i think about this all the time this is the illusion that our concealed emotions leak out and can be read and interpreted by others example uh oh. you are at a dinner party and somebody says oh you have to try the foie gras and you try the foie gras <laughs> and it makes bile come up in the back of your mouth and yeah. you make that gagging noise and sound in your face and makes the gagging face and Nobody's paying attention to that either, as it turns out. Uh, it sounds like you were choking. <laughs> I think you should and definitely have people pay attention. Where's that spotlight when you're choking on weird goose liver or whatever it is? I guess that's the other side of it is maybe you wish that people goose. were paying more attention to you when you're in uh, dire, dire need. Make more yeah. noise, I think, is what we're saying. Uh, so that is the illusion of transparency. But I think knowing about what these things are and knowing that they have been tested 
tested, right? That they have been studied. That when you yeah. test people and and look at their ability to interpret your hidden signs of anxiety, uh, nobody is noticing. Nobody is noticing what you think you are telegraphing so broadly. And right. I think just knowing those two concepts, the spotlight effect and the illusion of transparency, can be enormously freeing. Right. It is liberating to know that, in fact, we're all in this together. Right. And so what I like to do is in my own head as I'm walking around and I see uh, a parent uh, kissing an awkward little boy on the forehead or somebody wearing pants and one of the ankles is rolled up, but the other one isn't and they don't know about it. I like to stare at them really hard. Oh, and point. (laughs) Invasion of the body snatchers. I like to make sure. Yeah, no, I just like to lay it out there just to practice. Like, what would be like if I really was paying attention to somebody more <laughs> as much as they thought I was. You're just carrying around an actual spotlight, a spotlight, not and getting a, yeah. and like a megaphone. <laughs> awkward, I see you. Awkward. <laughs> to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. And every week we each drag out one of our deepest and darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. R-E-A-C-H, reach out to us. Send us the story of your anxieties to something stinky at what's that smell.net. Again, something stinky at what's that smell.net. We want to hear from you. And Pete, with that and with your permission... Put the spotlight on me, because I'd like to go first. Nice. Peter, first and foremost, your locker combination is 312842. Now, let's have a quick history lesson. In his treatise on the Athenian Republic, written around 450 BC, Xenophon wrote that an essential part to a competition and training center, quote, beside the actual runs and wrestling rings, is a place where those who use them may undress and oil themselves before exercise and may wash themselves afterwards, end quote. In these rooms, competitors would unclothe themselves, anoint themselves with oil, then place their belongings in as safe a place as possible. These rooms also served as learning centers where philosophers such as Plato discussed the fundamentals of life with their pupils in the bench-line dressing rooms. Now let's flash forward about 2,400 years to yesterday in Sherman Oaks, California, where in a rec center locker room, I saw a 70-year-old man clip his toenails while sitting on a wet bench completely naked. Pete, That's progress. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) My anxiety this week revolves around locker rooms. They've always made me uncomfortable. They've always made me nervous. And I think they might be making me hate like benches in general. Uh, The closest I could find to a listing is dishabilophobia, a social anxiety defined as the fear of undressing in front of someone. The origins are dis in Latin is dis meaning to separate, habil meaning clothing, and phobia meaning yikes. Now, Before I dive into my personal discomfort, Pete, I have two questions. Do locker rooms rank at all on your anxiety scale? And what was that locker combination I gave you? 21, 38, 42. Incorrect. 31, 28, 42. All of your possessions are mine. Good try, though. You got a lot closer than I thought you would. Okay. So do locker rooms do anything for you or am I on a locker island? 
do they do anything for me? Yeah, yes. Well, I, yes. Okay, (laughs) yes. Here's the problem. I haven't, I'm not. (sighs) Okay, look, Tom, you know me. I'm not a sporty guy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so So you're saying you don't have a lot of locker room, like you don't go to the locker room before you go into a Barnes and Noble? they say before you hit the atlas section make sure you lube up (laughs) so i think no here's my problem and i don't think it's necessarily related to locker Mm. room specifically um there's a scene in in the new baywatch movie Dwayne the rock johnson's baywatch movie yeah i've i've seen it and uh there's a scene where one of the characters who's new on the force uh on the you know, lifeguard force. He goes into the shower and he takes off his suit to shower. And then the very beautiful woman stereotype comes in and asks him what she what he wants for lunch. And she's yeah. wearing her suit. And yeah. he's talking and he's trying to be super casual because he's so in love with her. And then at the very end of this scene, she says, "Yeah, usually we leave our suits on when we shower. And he uh-huh. is just horrified. But this is a yep. great example of why I am not I'm not just good at this because I don't know the rules. I don't know oh, the rules. Just general locker room etiquette. Yeah, there is <laughs> etiquette around this stuff that I am not familiar with. And it, it extends to every part of the it's it's like every part of the buffalo. Like I just I'm not familiar with all the rules of just athletic facilities. And so I'm <laughs> on edge, like no matter what, I'm on sure. edge. Well, if it makes you feel any better or worse, even if you do know the etiquette, you can still have tons of anxiety about it. <laughs> that doesn't go away. Um, so what? at what point do you strip down in the locker room and rub your naked self all over the benches? Oh, gross. <laughs> uh, well, let me... Actually, let me take you through it. Let me take you through my history of uh, oh, locker rooms, which will answer this. <laughs> my history of locker rooms. <laughs> no, this is... Just as everyone fast forwards wow. and then throws their iPods in a river. <laughs> Did not iPods. see this this anxiety coming today. That's all. Right? I'm that excited about it. My earliest memory about a locker room was back when I lived in uh, Vienna, Virginia. This is when I was very young. Both of my parents worked and my mom worked at Georgetown University. And there was some sort of a summer daycare program there for the day. I remember all the other kids that I was with were much bigger and much older than me. And at one point, we always had to store our stuff in a locker. And then we'd come back after doing whatever we were doing that I was not doing well. We'd come back in the locker room and I'd always have trouble remembering which locker was mine. And then I'd always have trouble remembering my lock combination. And twice they actually had to cut open the dial. What is, you know, what is that called? The like combination, the combination, the combination lock. lock. Yeah. yeah. They had to cut that open with, uh, like I probably some sort of a blowtorch. I don't remember because I couldn't <laughs> remember it all. And one point at one time I tried to sit down on the bench and I missed completely and I fell on the floor and cried. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that has less to do with the. <laughs> And just bad. <laughs> yeah, it was, I would fall down all over the place. Um, I and then I sort of didn't have locker rooms or the locker room experience for a really long time. Um, like in college, for instance, at CU Boulder, go Buffs. I was only in the dorms one year, and I was incredibly lucky to have been randomly assigned a three-person room that had its own bathroom. Can you believe oh, it? Oh, yeah, that's dreamy. 
And so I never had like group shower parties or whatever else everyone else was dealing with. I assume group shower group parties. Group shower parties, is that um, a thing? You just had three-way shower parties. I just, <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> My parents might listen to this someday. Probably not. Uh, um, so for me, the anxiety is twofold. Uh, and talk about the spotlight effect. That was great timing. Uh, with your cold open, because uh, I'm not like you said, you said you are not, quote, sporty. I, quote, am not quite the physical <laughs> specimen I'd like to be um, on bad days. I feel like I'm just a, a bunch of like cottage cheese poured into a shirt from the gap. <laughs> and as a result, I'm not a big fan of taking off my clothes in public. And that's a can be a huge part of locker rooms. Yeah, I know it's wrong, but I suffer from the spotlight effect and that I can't shake the feeling that everyone is looking and judging what they see. Um, do you have any, so do you have body stuff about when you go? Cause then I have a second cause for my locker room anxiety, but I want to check in. You said you're oh. not sporty and you don't know the rules. What if you did? Yeah, Would no, that... I, yeah, I did. I definitely do. And, and, uh, it, and it's so, it's so weird because I am okay. I'm one of those, like, what I notice when you t- think about the spotlight effect, right? And, and the, yeah. uh, wow, it's, that was very timely. How did you know right? that we were going to do this? The illusion of transparency, <laughs> like, Gasly. I, <laughs> I feel like I, uh, am, uh, con- I'm looking at other people and my response is, oh. why? Why does it feel like they're not judging me? Because I look at myself and I think I am ripe to be judged. And that sort of recursive (laughs) judgmentalism, like body shame, man, it just keeps coming back around every kind of corner. I walk into the shower and I walk out of the locker room like, oh, there's more people who could and by all rights should be judging me. And so, yes, I I can relate. I can relate to this. Okay. So weird. Oh, I forgot to say. When I was saying that I haven't really been forced to get used to locker rooms, also in high school, did you shower after gym class? No, nope. no. Nope. In high school? Nope, nope, nope. No one showered uh, in gym class. They were there, but right. they were unused. We just used deodorant and changed our shirts and shorts, yeah. which still wasn't great, nope. but manageable. There wasn't like full-on butts hanging out. Well, <laughs> and are you one of the one of those kids? It's so funny. I didn't even recognize that. I, I don't think I could even possibly model this behavior because I just don't really deal with it. But I'm one of those people, when I go to the gym, I leave from my house where I'm already dressed and ready for the gym. I go right. to the gym and get sweaty. And then I leave the gym and come back to my house to get showered and change. And I always structure my day around that activity. So I don't even go into the locker room now unless I have to just go to the bathroom, right? Right. And and so I always do my change. Now, when you think back to your youth, were you, it sounds like you were one of the kids like me who on gym day wore gym appropriate clothes to school no we had the we had the gym appropriate clothes in locker rooms it's just we didn't shower uh meaning that yeah. we would have deodorant and so then, you would still but change we would change, you would change out shirts. okay yes exactly you wore gym because we had gym like every day oh, okay all right so that wouldn't be i would just be like johnny jim's a lot like if i'm just wearing <laughs> johnny jim's if i'm just wearing jim's sports clothes product we need a new doll now what's that smell sports anxiety doll johnny jim's a lot <laughs> and you can't take off any of his clothes <laughs> of his clothes are sewn on in weird places 
so you you on gym days would do what then? Uh, no, so I would I would have to change out because you know I think we yeah. talked about my uh, extensive career in uh, uh, intramural tennis uh and yep. squash <laughs> i played a lot of squash and i had to change out but i also i didn't i didn't shower and and i would uh right. i would change out and i would have just grotesque sweaty clothes in my locker that i just kept throwing back <laughs> in and never washed i don't oh, I, like i'm a real catch <laughs> yeah you <laughs> aren't we both <laughs> um so there is a second cause for my locker room anxiety and this is a little more interesting for me because it really just occurred to me as I was making notes for this record, but it's so obvious, I can't believe I never thought of it in these terms. Throughout my life, more often than not, locker rooms have been like antechambers to humiliation. <laughs> that you don't lose a, use a locker room before doing anything that I was ever particularly good at. You use it before sports. Right. And I'm very much on the record, like you, of having sports anxiety. I like sports, but I hate competition, and I don't care about winning. And that's why I usually end up disappointing everybody. Uh, and so I go through this room, this gross room that smells like feet, and then I go out and humiliate myself. <laughs> and then I come back and my prize for disappointing them is to go back onto the sweaty bench cave and take off some of my clothes in front of them. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> like, lose, lose, lose. That was three loses. And I think because I'm not losing using locker rooms for team sports and as an adult, but I think all of that anxiety just has become ingrained in me, and it just found a place in locker rooms mm -hmm. that I can't shake the feeling that even though I'm using a locker room just to go work out alone, not like alone, I'm not like in a cave, but I mean, I'm not working out with someone, but it's a, a locker room is like a portent to a bad time in the very near future. Yeah. Some part of me is still a kid getting dressed for battle. Um, And I was wondering, do you have... Any of that? Did, are they like for locker rooms have become like a psychic battery <laughs> that they've just like soaked up this anxiety now and I just bring it along? Yeah, no, I think that's kinda... I think that's legit. And and the other side of that is that there were a lot of people in high school who I consider friends that were very sporty. Right. And they were people who were they excelled at things that I was just not very good at and would often embarrass myself at, you, you know, and um, so I sort of felt like the locker room as a space was kind of metaphysically hungry. Like it fed on me Ooh. in order to like give to feed the others. My pretty much my high school was <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, you know, yeah. the, the locker room was the center of the hellmouth and it just like <laughs> <laughs> it smelled like it, I'm sure. <laughs> but but like for I I I think that was my confusion in high school was this whole this whole conceit that how is it that this this singular space could be so draining to me and so enriching and nourishing for those who you yeah. know who used it as a as a place to to prepare for battle to use right. your words right I, yeah. that is baffling to me it's always been baffling to me and um and, and I just I just never had a, an experience to counter it yeah that's true I didn't think about that locker rooms probably have great Memories for a lot of for people, a lot of people that enjoyed team sports. Yeah. It probably was a real bonding situation and, you know, group shower parties. I still don't know what was <laughs> Well, um, for us and for any listeners that potentially do have locker room anxiety, um, once again, we're not alone. I read in the New York Times, writer Chuarasicha, probably should have looked that up, that uh, Generation Xers and Millennials are more and more and more 
uh, often asking for privacy stalls in gym locker rooms in fitness clubs across the United States, such as Equinox, Sports Club, Sports Club LA, because they want privacy and they want to not to have this weird 70-year-old man uh, just sort of hanging out, letting everything flop around, flop around, because <laughs> there in the article, he, she, I'm sorry, makes it very clear that the older generation doesn't care. They yeah. are fine with it. And they're just walking around and they're talking about golf and equity and whatever older people talk about. And then the younger generation, myself included, is a little weirded out by that. So I think that's good. <laughs> is that progress? <laughs> or are we just slowly like mollifying ourselves into at some point we're just never going to leave our apartments? Well, I I'm wonder, sure. I wonder though, like there is this whole experience, like the childhood memory of going into a locker room with dad and running around before you had any anxiety and, like, all you learn is, huh, that's what, like, aqua velva and barbasol and groin <laughs> smells like. Like, like... <laughs> and, and, like, so that you, you get that and, right. and then you discover that sort of body shame exists and you either internalize it or you don't. I wonder... I, I don't necessarily connect that with an increasing prudishness among okay. like you know later generations or or I should say more recent generations I don't know if that's true but I'm really curious about it like yeah. is is locker room a leading indicator for a a generalized prudishness going forward is this why japanese people aren't having babies anymore like do you know what i mean like, cuz <laughs> you figured it out that's also true <laughs> <laughs> right. That's also true. Yeah. I mean, we're we're sort of right in the middle of yeah. it. Gyms across the United States are being redesigned right now in huge swaths. And so it's too early to really tell if this is going to be a new trend or not. But uh, at the very least, we're not alone. And to make us feel better, of course, there is no spotlight. Nobody cares. If anyone does care, they're usually either too into themselves or they're self-conscious too and also avoiding eye contact. And then we can all just be, if we do have to take off our clothes, I just say we all rise up together and put on our underwear under a towel <laughs> like I did. <laughs> just remember That's a patented what, move. <laughs> just remember what Pete's mom says. Ten minutes a day, sun on your genitals. What? <laughs> This date or year in anxiety or something. <laughs> what I still don't <laughs> have a handle on this segment. On this, this year in anxiety. Literally this year in anxiety, written. Tom. Okay, so here we go. This year in anxiety, Tom. Uh, think you might have tool. it bad? <laughs> think you might have it bad? Well, here's a question. Are you being actively hunted by birds? I know someone who is. <laughs> what? In 2016, in 2016, a man named Shiva Kawat in Shivpuri's Sumala village in India tried to save a baby crow chick stuck in a net. It sadly died in his hands. Ever since, the murder of crows in his village have attacked him every single day. Even three years later, every time Mr. Kiwat steps out of his house, the crows come swooping down to poke and bite him all over his body and head. To quote the article, the reporter noted that during the interview, Mr. Kiwat was nervously holding a large stick and constantly looking up in the sky, waiting for soaring birds to descend. This is real. So look, everybody, <laughs> life is tough, anxiety is rough, but if you're not in a blood feud with demon birds, maybe things aren't quite as bad as they could be. The year of 2016, the year that crows are now officially anxiety with wings. <laughs> 
you think you got it bad, okay, it, it may not involve murderous birds, uh, but it certainly does uh, relate to the other side of the locker room. If you're one of those people who is encouraged and enthused by being in the locker room and, and given lots of energy, then you definitely want to uh, continue your surefire winning streak by reading Moneyball by Michael Lewis, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game. Which reading? Is- Oh, no. No. Uh, Don't put that down and pick up your earbuds. You want to listen that's to right. Moneyball. Five Ooh. hours and 44 minutes of baseball Ooh. greatness. Uh, I'll tell you, you haven't you haven't read this yet, right? No, I saw the movie. I listened to the movie. No. T- <laughs> I just closed my eyes. Yeah. I, I want everything to just be audible. <laughs> I absolutely adore the movie. The book is just as good. It is a fantastic story of uh, of how uh, the Oakland Athletics became a winning team. And they did it not by star power. They did it with math. And I have Numbers. never thought math was so sexy than in this <laughs> book uh it it's it is just fantastic uh, the story of billy bean general manager of the oakland athletics and uh his team that came together and built a fantastic team based on the math so check it out you absolutely check it out by visiting audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast uh, and once you do that you get a free month a whole month where you can look at the service you can review the service you can check out other books uh, a sample you can it's a 200,000 samples if you mm. want to listen I mean really you could just try to make it your thing where you're the person who listened to all the samples during your free 30 days <laughs> that could be your your gig and I don't I doubt anybody else has ever done that in a month you'd really have something for yourself <laughs> anyway or you could just get a free book on us keep it forever mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. if you decide you don't want to stick around with the service uh, that's it. Audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Support us. Support the show. Get a free book. Thanks, Audible. Thanks, Audible. All right. Moving on. Tom, we've talked about school stuff on the show before, right? We have talked about school yeah. stuff on the show before. There was yeah. that, that one time you were wandering the quad and you were talking about just, you felt like you were kind of missing something. And then you realized... Ugh, you're totally late. And so you take right. off at a run across the grass toward the nearest building. You maybe run through oh. a couple of hedges. And oh. uh, maybe at one point you run through a hedge, but there's a fence on the other side and you comically smash into it and fall down. And then you recover and you get to the to a church. You were on your way to a church. I don't know why. No. But I the sidewalk was covered in grass. And so you look down oh. and you're like, oh, no, I'm not wearing shoes. Ah! Uh, it's terrible, but you cross it anyway, and yeah. you get to that front door, and it's locked. Locked. A church is locked. What? It's okay. What? So totally okay. You shimmy up a drain pipe, get in on the second floor, <laughs> and wait. Wait a minute. Oh, no. The church is full of people taking an exam. Tom, it's oh. test day, oh. and you knew Got there was it. something to study for, but you're completely unprepared. You run down the uh, antique spiral staircase and down the center aisle, and as you oh, approach still the professor <laughs> to pick up the test, you realize you're completely naked. You're naked, you've got oh. bloody feet, you're unprepared on <laughs> test day, and you've got wow. the shame of the church on your shoulders. Could it get oh. any worse? <laughs> that 
Um, Even with dream logic, that was a mess. What's wrong with me? I bring you a listener submission. Hooray. Okay, good. Here I we think go. I have a guess about what this is about. It's not being about naked in church. <laughs> bare feet. No. Yeah. Guys, is it possible you have never done test anxiety? On the show. Oh, yeah. I have to Wait, take have, my real estate. We never have. We never have. I have to take my real estate broker's exam at the end of the month, and I'm terrified. I've dealt with it as long as I can remember. It's seriously the only anxiety I can relate to personally, and it's the only thing I've ever come across next to asking my wife to marry me that makes me Ugh. feel like I'm going to wet myself. <laughs> Love the show. I don't know how you guys keep coming back. Rick from Austin. Oh, Rick. We don't oh, know. Oh, Austin, either. Rick. <laughs> We're not even <laughs> recording right now. Rick, it's just going to you. You know that, right? It is. That's <laughs> no right. one else listens. <laughs> it's all Austin, Rick. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, I love this. And uh, so be before yeah. we dig into just generalized, uh, you know, test anxiety, how, what's, what's your experience with test anxiety? I wish that they... In school, I'm a big on like, I wish that they would teach more life skills like yeah. credit cards and, you know, hygiene or something like that. But uh, one of them would also be test skills mm -hmm. because that's a completely that has nothing to do really with the knowledge that you have. And it's a complete skill unto its own about trying not to freak out in a time test situation. So, no, I mean, I'm not a fan. Is You're that, not a fan. I'm not a fan of tests or test anxiety, <laughs> but yes, I have it. You know, what's I funny remember... is that there are people, like I have met people in my life who actually love tests. They love the experience of being able to show what they have accomplished and what they've learned. Like that's a real, leg I know, I know. I'm not comfortable around those people either, Tom. <laughs> uh, generally, you know, generally we think of test anxiety around in, in kids because it's kids yep. who take the most tests. But the first thing I did when I started looking at this is to look at at Rick, at Austin Rick. Like, what does Rick have to be nervous about? He's, oh, right. What kind of test was he it's taking? It's real, real estate, estate broker's exam. And, and so uh, it looks like you have four hours to complete 100 to 150 multiple choice questions uh, on both Oof. state and national real estate principles and laws. And uh, in order to even get in the door to take the test, you have to have successfully completed 60 to 90 hours of college-level education in the field. So likely you've been invested in studying the stuff. Right. right? Okay. Uh, so, but what else do adults uh, have to deal with in terms of tests, right? We've got all kinds of certifications, like Rick is is doing licensures, professional examinations, driving tests, if you let your license lapse, oh, I don't know, yeah. blood tests, like all kinds of things that <laughs> that pressure you in a way that, that can cause this sort of performative anxiety uh, around testing. Yeah. When's the last time you took a test? Do you remember the last <sighs> test you had to take? I think it's been a... Oh, wait. Not that... Uh, that's my new voice. Oh! Uh, not that long ago, I recently got certified for... Um, what's it called? First aid, CPR, and AED. Really? And you do have to take a test at one point over the computer after you watch 900,000 videos and take these different things. And I remember it feeling alien. It's been a long time since I've taken a test like that, yeah. like really learning something in a short amount of time and then really having to have it down. Um, so, yeah, that woke up some old feelings. That's really interesting because what you're getting to there is like like anxiety related to stakes. 
right? And, right. and the stakes uh, in, in that case, like CPR, uh, MAD, MAD, what is that? No, that's the, the uh, NED, the defibrillator. AED, yes, AED, correct. Yeah. AED is the defibrillator. Yeah, so uh, those, like the stakes can be pretty high. Like I, I can imagine yeah. that you want to be in a position where you feel like, uh, okay, I know this well enough that if I'm ever called upon to use it, like I'm not going to screw it up. The, the stakes <laughs> are... Everyone stand back! And then I immediately like <laughs> put the defibrillator on my own face. <laughs> I'm like, why? We're doing fine. <laughs> uh, and, and so that that actually is one of the the like characteristics of this particular performance anxiety like it's it's just a a fear of the stakes that the stakes are too high and right. and that can cause a lot of pressure uh, for me you know i the last test i think i i took was embarrassingly long time ago i think it was like my final cut pro certification exam or something like it was just it, it okay. was it was long enough ago and the stakes were pretty low <laughs> sure you know i already knew well enough and it, it wasn't it, you know it's not something i had to do for for work it was a personal thing so the stakes were low um there you could be walking down the street and someone's like quick i need a sizzle reel <laughs> like that it's the same as tpi <laughs> right in hollywood i imagine you see that all the time yes constantly my <laughs> Actors reel is out of date. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there, there's that. There's fear of failure, right? This, this, that, that's kind of related. The mm-hmm. sense of, oh God, what if I, what if I don't? What does it mean about me? There's of course yeah. lack of preparation and and kind of fear of the unknown. Like, what if I prepared the wrong stuff? Oof. You yeah. know, uh, there's the pile on, right? The poor performance, the the test performance experience. This is actually called negativity bias. And it's that thing that our brain is exceptionally good at. Uh, this is the feeling that, oh, goodness, that one time I completely bombed a test, it outperforms in our brain the hundred oh. times that we have been successful at a test. And right. that thus creates a test anxiety, even if it's unfounded, even if the, the sure. like the data suggests that you're actually, you know, better at tests than you think you are. It's because of that way. It's just like tests and YouTube comments, right? It's always the jerk that, <laughs> that you remember uh, yeah. and not the hundreds of people who are really, you know, they like you. Right. There's also, of course, anxiety related to distraction, right? Who doesn't feel uh, that uh, a little bit of ADHD spectrum during a test, right? As soon as you let that wash over you, the anxiety wash over you, it's certainly easy to get distracted by sounds and somebody chewing or moving their lips in a stupid way or clocks yep. ticking or something like that. My version of that sometimes, I remember it happened during the SAT at one point where yeah, I was noticing other things. And then I was noticing that I was noticing other things. Yeah. And then it spiraled because I was like, I've got to speed up. But all I'm thinking of is I've got to speed up. Yep. Like I'm just using that one phrase over and over again. And I didn't speed up at all. And then it turned out <laughs> I didn't even have a pencil. And, and, yeah. and you were naked and your feet were all cut. It's and I thing. was naked. Don't yeah, exactly. Then it. I woke up behind a Chili's too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing was a disaster. Uh, one of my favorite books on creativity is by a guy named Stephen Pressfield. Field. Uh, he's the author of the book War of Art. And I'm, mm. I have we talked about War of Art on the show before? I can't remember. I can't remember. I look at uh, War of Art. He is kind of my surrogate, slightly inebriated uncle who's just sitting there telling me to get my act together, right? It's okay. just like yeah. the the butt kicking that you really need is in this book. And I, I've, I've always loved the book and his, his uh, company, Black Irish Press. Like, they just do great wonderful work and this book is kind of central to 
you know, how I feel when I feel blocked by something. And yeah. he writes in this book, fear doesn't go away. The warrior and the artist live by the same code of necessity, which dictates that the battle must be fought anew every day. Right. Ugh. And I get, yeah, right. Gross. It, it's hard. <laughs> like this is hard. It's hard to get over this, but, but the anxiety is an indicator of something really important. And that is that what you're doing matters, right? Stress from anxiety. Oh, it, like it's, sure. it's a thing that doesn't come up if you don't feel strongly about what you're doing, right? If there's no reason to be nervous, you won't be nervous. <laughs> yeah. That's so, a good point. So stress from anxiety produces a hormone called cortisol. Cortisol is yep. a bully for the hippocampus, and the hippocampus <laughs> is what you need to recall memories. So too much stress, too much cortisol, memory failure. So you got to get your act together around uh, staying relaxed and being confident uh, in order to uh, allow your hippocampus to do what it needs to do. Mm -hmm. uh, or else you get the symptoms, right? I don't know. What, what happens to you when you're in text, test anxiety mode? It's I can feel like a little bit of a roaring in my ears. Yeah, I think I get really bad butterflies. I start sweating a little bit. I'm tapping and I'm sort of bouncing up and down. And then I start screaming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> blood just pouring out of my nose. I might actually just be really sick. This might have nothing to do with test. test anxiety, Ebola, one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I actually I find that I go through all of those things and then get really sleepy. Like it, it's as if my oh, body says, sure. you're done, man. You have right. nothing to give. Go to bed. Like adrenaline is like, yeah. drained away. Yeah. And Especially just, because yeah. generally I couldn't sleep the night before. Right. I generally uh, that anxiety brings around like nightmares and restlessness and and uh, all of those horrible things. But of course, I'm also subject to panic attacks. I, I have a history of panic attacks. So the left arm goes, you know, starts to hurt and goes numb. And then I start breathing. It's just a thing. Uh, yeah. So you get the emotional uh, response, the feelings of anger and fear and helplessness and disappointment mm -hmm. and you're going to disappoint your mother and then you can't concentrate. And it's a very lonely feeling. It's super lonely feeling. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so what do you do? Well, what here's an interesting do? thing. I have a few things that I want to talk about that I've culled together from a number of different sources. The first one oh. is something I did not, that makes total sense to me. I can't believe I didn't think about it before. University of Chicago study says that students who were given 10 minutes to write about their fears in specific detail on paper before an exam improved their scores by nearly a full grade point over those who did not. Why? Really? Yeah. Can you guess why? Feel less alone? Feel no. less trapped in your own head? Okay, why? you're going down that direction. That's a good direction. It's the same thing with, uh, believe it or not, to-do systems right? Work management systems. There okay. are people who wander around with all of the stuff that they have to do in the day in their head, and the odds of them getting all of that stuff done is pretty small, right? Because there's a lot of distraction that comes with trying to remember all of the things you have to do. And so we try to sure. have what's called a trusted system, a system where you can just core dump all the stuff out of your head so that you don't have to think about it anymore. Oh, That's so you're getting key. all your internal monologue exactly. out. Exactly. You okay. need a trusted anxiety system. This is why right. the value of journaling in general is so great for anxiety. But in this case, if you sit down and you conscientiously and specifically write all the things that you're really afraid of, you'll get it <laughs> out of your head before you actually have to sit down and take the test. And what they found is it's important to do it right before the test because you don't want to give your brain time to create to new fill stuff. Back up. Yeah, to fill That's back right. up. Right. 
so was my anxiety list good enough? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you're just like, all exactly. right, call it a day. Exactly. Next, you want to make sure you cr- you correct past exams. Take as many practice exams as you possibly can and uh, get them corrected and actually go through and review the notes. This is something that many people don't do, right? They take practice, practice exams and they think, well, I really screwed that one up. I didn't get the grade I needed. I guess I'll just take another practice exam. But that's like that's missing the whole point of practicing. The whole point is to go back and figure out what you did wrong and why. If you skip the why, you're not going to increase that level of confidence and affinity with the material to the point that you'll be able to get through it. We think that test writers are tricky or duplicitous, right? That they're trying to trip us up on on test questions. And that's generally speaking is not true, right? They just know the stuff better than you. Sure. So if you like if you focus on the mastery part and making connections between subjects, you won't have as difficult a time when what, you know, what normos would consider tricky questions hit you. They're easy. You'll get it because you're focusing on mastery. The the other thing is state dependent memory. Now, we've talked, I I think, a little bit about state dependent memory. And I think this. I have mixed results with state-dependent memory. The idea here is that you want to find a way to create the same conditions to study in which you're actually taking the exam, right? Mm. So you create a sense of friendliness around the exam material. So if you are if you are going to be in a lecture room when you're taking the exam, if there's a way to get access to it and spend a half hour oh. studying there, uh, that's that's Making the, the unknown yeah. a little bit more known. Exactly, I right? You're sure. reducing all of the sensory experiences that might otherwise cause you anxiety uh, by by having a sense of familiarity with it. Now, I, I had this experience in college where I drank way too much Coke, right? Just oh. way too much. And you know, they give you the the tumbler, the recyclable to you that was like gray. You remember this thing. It was like, you know, it was the size of your head and you carried it around <laughs> and people had it carabinered to their backpacks. And then you'd go in and you'd get a little discount or free refills on soda and that kind of, and I just drank Coke all the time and okay. just was rotting. I was just festering rot from the inside out. <laughs> And on test nights, I thought (laughs) on test nights, I thought, well, I'm going to stay up all night studying. And so I'm going to just drink a lot of Coke. And then I would get into the uh, into the test center or test experience. And I would do terribly because I hadn't been drinking a lot of Coke. And I was taking a psychology class and learned about state dependent memory and thought, if I'm going to, like, take a test, but I've been studying totally doped up on coca-cola i should be doped yeah. up on coca-cola and like standing on tables while i'm taking the test so i did my best to try to to duplicate that environment and in fact i did much much better so uh, you, oh. you try to create that i had to go to the bathroom <laughs> a lot but my goodness sure. it's possible to actually do it I, you know your mileage may vary but that's one of the things that you can think about but finally this is a big fine <laughs> okay you gotta think long term if you want to mm. reduce that stress and that long term is you've got to think beyond the test. You have to build better habits before you take the test. And instead of focusing exclusively on the content you're going to be tested on, focus on how you want to engage with that stuff every day. Right. For real estate brokers, example, you're going to be doing this to help people buy homes and navigate yeah. complex set of laws and financing regulations. So how do you make that real and relevant for you beyond the exam? 
Oh, not just studying for the test. Exactly. Get better at practicing the skills so that you're not studying for the test. You're studying for a career. You're studying for your life. Make better use of flashcards and mind maps and become a better reader. Study how to read for greater attention and recall. Practice mindfulness so you actually have a regular practice of focus and relaxation to reduce those cortisol levels and, and create a better mood or attitude toward getting this stuff done. Eat better. Practice sleeping, right? The bottom line is is you want to make the act of learning in your life like riding a bike so that when you sit down for any assessment, you don't have to think about the content. You can slow down, you can read carefully, and you can perform without thinking because the stuff you had to study is second nature. Wow. Sure. If you can do that, that's Fantastic. That's the kind of life skill yeah. that I wish that I talked about that I wish that they would sort of totally. instead of just saying and go stop. Yeah, right. Not good enough. Exactly. That's what it always felt like. <laughs> Fail. Sorry. Fail. Yeah. Well, and and here's the bottom line. Like we talked about the stakes, right? As an adult, <laughs> it's very different than if you're a student where if you're a student, you're, uh, you know, you have to beg for every concession. And and of course, yeah. like there, you take tests and there's no do-overs. But as an adult, it's rare you can't throw money at a problem and get a do-over. Like you fail the broker's exam, you can take it again, right? You can keep sure. going until you get the material right. You fail your driver's exam, you can generally take it again. You fail, like yeah. these are things you can practice at. And, and so... Or you can always just work on getting adopted by Felicity Huffman. <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. Today's tune has been Love of Mine by The Hunts. Coming up next week. Of course. Of course. It's the jalapeno popper thing. <laughs> it's the fear of not How enough good starters. <laughs> now, Wait, is... in the article, did it say he said that horrifyingly? <laughs> or did you add that? I would like, like the New York Times to be like, disgustingly, he said... <laughs> Purple. No, we've all decided that that smell is grapes. That smells nothing like grapes. It's purple. We all have to come together and say, that's not grapes. That's purple. <laughs> but it but I did do a great job. Until then, I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. Thank you so much for downloading. We will be back next week on What's That Smell?